Happy Easter. He is risen. And it changes everything. It means that when we're heading the wrong way, we can start heading the right way. It means that when we're hurt and we're lost, we can be healed and found. It means when we're overcome with sorrow, that that sorrow can be turned to joy. Easter is all about a turnaround. Since the beginning of creation, when man fell, we were heading in a certain direction and it was taking us where we didn't need to go. To death, to our own grave, to a world inhabited by sin. But then Jesus came and he turned it all around and we no longer have to face death. We walk towards life, towards hope, towards healing, towards a future and a purpose that God has prepared for us. Over the last few weeks as we've been journeying through Lent, we've been talking about our King Jesus, the most influential person that history and humanity has ever known. We've looked at how Jesus warned his disciples that it was going to get worse before it got better. We've looked at Jesus' crucifixion and the pain and the loss and how it felt like he and everyone else was in checkmate. It's over. We're done. We've lost. But today we get to talk about the rest of that story. When the enemy made his move, God wasn't done. And the day we celebrate today is this turnaround moment, not just for history, not just for Jesus, but for us as well. I want to read to you from this resurrection story, and as we do, I want to talk about turnarounds. Turnarounds that happened here and turnarounds that can happen here too. If you've got your Bible and want to follow along, turn to John chapter 20. If you have the YouVersion app, look on the little locator and click on Church Together and everything will be right there for you. John chapter 20. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. And so she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciples went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together. The other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then following him was Simon Peter. He also came. He entered the tomb, went right in and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrappings that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but were folded in a separate place by itself. 
The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For even though they didn't understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead, then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Scene number one on resurrection morning. It's dark and it's early. It's somewhere between three to six in the morning. It's been a rough week. It's been a tough week. It's been as hot as hell for some of these disciples. We read that it was a dark morning. And it was especially dark for Mary. You see, Jesus had changed Mary's life. She had seen him and heard him and experienced him. And she had believed some things that she had never believed before about herself. People said to her, you're crazy. People said to her, you're lost. People said to her, you're cheap and worthless. But Jesus never says those things about anybody. And she believed him and her life changed. And so when Jesus died, this was a dark day for her. It was still dark outside, but it was still dark inside as well. She got there and sees that the tomb had been removed this was a big clue to her that something was up and something was not right and something that was wrong. And so in her grief, rather than sit down and think about all the things that could have happened, she made an assumption. And her assumption was that someone had broken into the tomb and stolen the body of Jesus. Sadly, crazily, this was a fair assumption to make. Even the authorities were trying to protect against this by putting guards outside. It wouldn't have been good for the story. Grave robbing was a thing. In fact, it was a few years later that the Caesar at the time outlawed it and made grave robbing a capital punishment. And so she assumed that on this Easter morning, someone had broken into the tomb and stolen the body. You know what happens when you assume? It doesn't work out well most of the time. But this assumption grew in her. And it made her very angry and even more upset than she was. And she couldn't believe it and says, we got to do something about this. And so she goes to see the leaders of the disciples who are trapped in their home. She went to John and to Peter and she said, you're never going to guess what's happened. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they put him. This assumption gruesome life. And this life took on a life of its own. And I imagine that Peter and John were so frustrated by this that, that they went to the tomb with anger. 
What has happened? How could someone do this? Two disciples heading there, Peter and John. John was younger than Peter and faster than Peter. But John was afraid and Peter was courageous. So John gets there first and it says he stoops down. Now the entry to the tomb was probably somewhere only between three or four feet. So he had to kind of bend down. He was quick. He got there first, but he was afraid. He didn't want to go into the tomb. It was dark. Maybe the robbers were still there. Maybe the authorities were still there. He stooped down and all he could see was the linen. It said he looked into the tomb and he saw the linen, but he did not go in. Simon, the old man, a much slower runner, finally gets there. Simon Peter's not afraid of anything. That's his M.O. And so he just runs right in there not afraid of anything. And when he gets in there, he sees something else. He sees the linen clothes lying there, but they were wrapped. The ones that had been on Jesus's face were folded in a separate place. All of a sudden, the assumption that Mary had cast didn't necessarily seem to make sense. You see, because if his body had been stolen, they'd have probably taken the linens or they would have just thrown them on the floor. To fold them neatly, something's up. When John finds out it's safe, he decides to go in as well. And we read that when they're both standing in there, that they saw and believed. They saw and believed. They didn't understand all the scriptures yet. But they saw that something was going on. And they started little by little to believe, to recall, to remember some of the things that Jesus had said to them. What's interesting about this little passage of scripture is that the word saw, as in sight, as in looking, is used three times. First of all, by John. John didn't go inside, but he bent down and he looked. That first word, saw, means to glance. He just kind of peeked around the corner. He he caught something out of the, the side of his eye. The second word for saw in the Greek means a little bit more. This is what Peter did. It means to observe. Initially, John saw by peeking, and Peter observed. But then it says the third use of this word see, a third use means that they understood, that they comprehended intelligently. So think about that. In these two verses, there are three ways of seeing what is happening. The first way is to glance. The second way is to observe. The third way is to understand. Glance, observe, or understand. It's almost like what's happening here is that there is a progression 
of belief taking place in the disciples. They thought Jesus had died. That was their new belief. But then they started to glance, and then they started to observe, and then they started to understand. As I look at my understanding of the gospel, and my understanding of God, I can think of times in my life where I have seen God differently based on those three categories. Sometimes in my life, I just glance at God. Maybe something will catch the corner of my eye. Sometimes I, I observe, I feel like I'm getting a little closer. And then there are moments when it feels like I'm with God, I'm comprehending God. The challenge for us as Christians who believe in the resurrection is to move from glancing at God to gazing at God. From glancing to gazing. Now here's the deal. It had been a tough weekend for the disciples, for Mary, for everybody who knew Jesus and their belief would have been shaken. So many promises, so many hopes, so many dreams gone when Jesus went. But the resurrection invites them to believe. Not just to glance, not just to observe, but to gaze. This has been an unprecedented, tough year for all of us. Things have happened beyond our control that have cost us greatly. We've lost people we love. We've been trapped by fear. We've become concerned about the future. We've been isolated and locked away. And when that happens, like the disciples and like Mary, it can start to corrode our belief. It can start to chip away and ask questions that we don't have the answer for. Here's the good news, that because of the resurrection, we can turn around from unbelief or from corroding belief and start believing again. Amen? Where are you in your belief in knowing and understanding God, glancing or observing or gazing? The resurrection invites us not just to restore our belief, but to gaze towards our resurrected Christ. Verse 10, then the disciples returned. Here's the first turning in this story, right? They returned to the place where they were staying. 
But I promise you that as they returned, they were returning with a different heart because the belief that was dead was starting to come alive again. One of the things that the resurrection does to us is it turns us away from disbelief and turns us around to belief. And the invitation of Jesus every Easter is not just to glance, but to gaze at him. There is a turn around in belief. Scene two, verse 11. Mary stood outside the tomb. It had taken her a while to get there. She wasn't going to run like Peter and John, but she got there. Peter and John, it seems, didn't care to wait for her. They just returned home. And she stood there crying. In fact, that word for crying is very unique. It means distraught. She was devastated. She had had something so precious within her pulled out of her and destroyed. She is overwhelmed with her emotion. Jesus was her hope. He was a life giver. He'd spoken life to her. But as he lost his life, she thought her hope was over. She was devastated. And she went to look inside the tomb. And it says in verse 12 that she saw two angels. Both were dressed in white where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you crying? What's amazing about this story is here is this lady meeting angels, and she's not even freaked out or worried or concerned. Throughout uh, biblical history, whenever angels show up, especially in the Gospels, the first thing they say is, fear not, because the people who see them are afraid. It's not that she's not afraid. It's that she's so consumed by her own grief, her own loss, and her own lack of help that she doesn't realize she's having a conversation with the angels. So she just continues like she's talking to another person. They've taken my Lord away. She's still talking about Jesus in terms of being her Lord. I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus there. She turned around and saw Jesus there. The first turnaround in the gospel is a turnaround of belief. In tough times, belief corrodes and we can turn around. The second turnaround is a turnaround of hope. She was distraught. She was lost. She was struggling. She was crying. And she turns around and sees Jesus. But she doesn't recognize Jesus at first. Why? 
probably because she's so consumed with her own emotion, her own feeling, her own pain. She's not phased by seeing the angels. She thinks that Jesus is the gardener. She's confused because hopelessness has consumed her. Let me remind you that when we are feeling hopeless, we don't see things clearly. We don't see things as we should. We don't see things rationally. And in this moment, she is hopeless, but she's invited to turn around. I imagine she glanced at the gardener. She doesn't realize it's Jesus. She calls him sir. If she knew it was Jesus, she would have called him Lord. If you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him so that I can take him and embalm the body and put the spices on. She turned back because she couldn't keep her eyes off the slab where Jesus had laid. And then, verse 16, Jesus says to her, Mary. And he said it in a way, and he said it in a tone that she recognized with great love and with great tenderness. Verse 16, Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. You see the second turnaround taking place? Jesus speaks to her lovingly, tenderly, powerfully. Hope is not less. Hope did not have the last word. Hope can be revived. Hope can be restored. And she turned around and she sees Jesus and she worshipped him as her rabbi, as her teacher. It says she, she says Rabboni in, in uh, Aramaic. You know why she probably responded in Aramaic? Because Jesus spoke to her in Aramaic, which wasn't the common language of the day, but it was the language that her mom and her close friends would have used. And so she's feeling part of the family. And so she goes up to Jesus and she gives him this big embrace. She clings to him. No idea of social distancing or any of that stuff. And Jesus says, hang on a second. I'm not ready for this, this big embrace yet. We've still got stuff to do. I've not yet ascended to the Father. And I need you to do something. And here's what you need to do. You need to go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my brothers. What's interesting about this passage is the word brothers. Think through the last time Jesus saw his disciples. They were not acting like brothers. They were denying him and betraying him and disowning him and running for him from him. But Jesus still calls them brothers, right? Because Jesus is restoring hope. He's saying hope hasn't gone. You trust me, you're still part of the family. Tell them that I'm ascending to my father and your father because we're part of the same family. Tell them that I'm going back to my God and your God because we're part of the same family. 
Mary, this lady who had been living in hopelessness, turns around and receives hope again. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And she told them what had said. The resurrection is about turning towards hope. You know, I, as I've been reading this passage this week, I see a lot of myself in both the disciples and in Mary. You know why the disciples lost hope? It was because of Jesus' death, of course, but it was also because of their behavior. They'd abandoned him, they'd let themselves down. They were disappointed in the things that they'd done and the works that they had given themselves to. When the test came, they failed, and as they failed, hope died. And I relate a lot to Mary as well because there are times in my life where my emotions get the better of me. And I can't see things clearly. And all I see is the emotion of the moment. But here's the good news of the gospel. Our faith in Jesus Christ is not based on our behavior. And it's not based on our feelings. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? So often, like the disciples, I think, man, I'm out of the game. I shouldn't have done that, but I did. I've let him down. I've abandoned that call. I've missed the point. But Jesus says, I still call your brother. We're still part of the same family. There are times when emotions and anxiety and fear and ego and all that stuff gets in the way. I don't feel like a Christian today. I don't feel very hopeful today. But the resurrection says it doesn't really matter how you feel. Because the cross and the empty tomb and the gospel is bigger than that. Two turnarounds. The first one from a failing belief to finding belief. Secondly, from a hope that is dying to a hope that is living. The third and final story I want to share with you today, picking up at verse 19. When the evening of that first day came, it had been a strange day. The disciples were all gathered together. Two reasons they were gathered. One, they were afraid. Secondly, misery loves company. They didn't know what to make of it. You know, we've seen this stuff. Mary says she's met with Jesus, but we're still grieving his death because we saw him hanging on the cross. The doors were locked because they were afraid. But through those locked doors, Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them exactly what they needed to hear. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. Then they entered into a little show and tell. He showed them his hands and the nail wounds that were still fresh. He told them and showed them his side and the scars that would still be very fresh. 
The disciples rejoiced at this. Well, really, what else can they do? It's hard to deny the resurrection when the one that you'd seen dead was seen in front of you. Not only now was their belief accelerating, but their hope was accelerating as well. Jesus said to them, verse 27, peace to you. And then he says some words to them, which I believe he would want to say to us today. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. You see, what had happened in this moment for the disciples, not just was belief crashing and hope dwindling, but these guys had lost their purpose. When Jesus called them, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What he's saying is I've got a plan and a purpose for your life unlike any other plan and purpose that you could imagine. You're not just going to catch fish. You're going to become fishers of men. And they thought that purpose had been lost. They thought that purpose had died with Jesus. But Jesus wants them to know as he wants us to know. God still has a purpose for them and God still has a purpose for you. As the Father has sent me to live and to love and to care and to model and to wash feet and to give life and to help the needy and to love the unloved and provide hope for the lost and care for those who have nothing, so I am sending you to do that as well. After saying this, he breathed on them, he commissioned them, received the Holy Spirit. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they'll be forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they'll be retained. He's saying, I have a purpose for you to share this incredible message of forgiveness with the world that first needs to know that they're forgiven. There is so much going on in our world right now that is heading in the wrong direction. That statement will not surprise anybody who reads a newspaper or scrolls a feed. What Jesus is saying, though, is that this turnaround starts with people realizing that they are loved and forgiven by God. Once we receive and understand that, slowly but surely, we can start to change. And in this moment, Jesus is commissioning his followers to turn around from a life of no purpose and to turn to a life of purpose. The resurrection of Jesus is an invitation for all of us to turn around.
where belief is fading to turn around and believe, where hope is dying to turn around and see hope again, where purpose has gone to turn around and follow and fulfill God's purpose for your life. In the church, we have a fancy word for turn around. You've probably heard it. You may not know what it means. That word is repent. When we hear the word repent, we picture someone standing over us, pointing the finger, condemning us. When Jesus says repent, it's an invitation to turn around, to turn around to believe, to turn around to hope, to turn around and fulfill a purpose. And so on this Easter Sunday morning, as we stand with the church and the saints throughout history, I would invite you to turn around. We've been living a life as if not just Jesus is still dead, but that we're dead and things don't matter. But Jesus invites all of us, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, no matter how much hope has died, no matter how much we've lost our way, to turn around, to repent, and to put our trust in Him. Let's pray together. Lord, we gather today as Easter people People who are changed by your resurrection. We were people of no or wrong belief, but your resurrection invites us to turn around and believe. We were people who had lost hope, but you invite us to turn around and put our hope in you. We've been people who are wandering aimlessly without purpose, but you invite us to turn around and put our purpose in you. Lord Jesus, this Easter, as we celebrate your resurrection, Would you turn us around? Would you help us to put our faith and our trust in you? Would you help us to find our belief and our hope and our purpose through you? Would you call us and cause us to repent and forgive us? And we ask and we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen.